buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. Welcome to The Sales Hustle, the only no BS podcast where we bring you the real, raw, uncut experiences from sales change makers across various industries. The only place where you can get what you're looking for to up your sales game. Today's episode is brought to you by SalesCast. SalesCast helps sales professionals transform the relationship building process and win their dream clients. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. All right, what is happening, sales hustlers? Welcome to another episode. I've got a special guest all the way from India. I've got Anapreet Singh of Slintel. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting Anapreet on LinkedIn and, and uh, participating in an event that they're putting on, giving back to the sales community. So I'm super excited to for you, you guys to get to know Anapreet and also learn a little bit about data and outbound and the things that him and his team are working on. Anapreet, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Colin. It's been a pleasure knowing you, and it's uh, awesome that I'm on, show, on your show now. So it was great to have you on, on our ramming sessions, and I'm here to give it back to the community uh, that, that follows you. Yeah, so tell all the sales hustlers that are listening uh, how you got into sales and a little bit about your story. But as I always say, give us the short version because we want to save this time to give them as many tactical tips that they can uh, apply when they get back to the office. No, absolutely. Uh, so I like to believe that I'm one of the youngest sales leaders in the industry. I'm 28 and I'm, I'm leading a sales function. How this happened uh, is in the span of last five years, wherein I started my career as a coder and then realized while I was also running a startup in parallel that I'm better at selling than at coding. And I immediately made a switch. And you know, basically, I was you know uh, uh, in front of some investors pitching my own product when they actually told me that, hey, we can't really uh, give you funding, but we can actually refer you to a company that we funded. And you might want to explore that position as, as a salesperson, right? And and I started talking to uh, the companies that were looking for sales, uh, you know, people. And I came across a, a cool company called Metal, which later got acquired by Mercer. And while I was there, I kind of you know scaled up from becoming a you know an SDR to AE to a sales leader for two of their continents, US and Europe, in a span of three years. And my claim to fame was the fact that they got acquired by Mercer. And as soon as Mercer acquired Metal. Uh, you know, I, I realized that uh, I like to, I enjoy more uh, being in the startup ecosystem and then, then join Slintel as their sales leader. So this is how sales happened to me and this is how I kind of, you know, grew with the company uh, that, that grew very fast. So I like, I, I have a thing for keep, keeping uh, close to, keeping close to, you know, young companies that are growing very fast. So Slintel is again one of those companies and I'm with them right now. Wow. Okay. All right. So that's an interesting story. I've interviewed quite a lot of salespeople and, you know, some of, most of the stories are, are fairly common. They 
fall into sales by accident, which is kind of similar to your story. But this is the first time I've heard that uh, you were pitching and got offered a job instead of an investment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And actually, that was one of the coolest advice because I was a 24-year-old kid trying to pitch my startup. And I, I did realize after that that there was so much more that I need to learn before I go back to becoming an entrepreneur. And this is my, my you know, back my, my play field. I'm just enjoying myself learning every day. Uh, before I probably try try uh, with another startup sometime later in my career. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, 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 you know, I, I, I network with a lot of salespeople and I've, you know, got, you know, a lot of people that are in sales in my network and the listeners. And, and I talk to a lot of these people and, um, you know, sales is one of the most important skills, right? So if you want to be an yeah. entrepreneur or you want to be a founder or you want to start a SaaS company or a tech company or whatever you want to do, yeah. like, Start with a sales job, yeah. Whatever that looks like, so whatever sales role. Start wherever you need to. Work your way up. You know, get to the point where you're maybe leading a team, um, right. and then you can go start whatever you want. Because if you right. don't have that fundamental foundation of how to sell a product or service, right? There's a pretty good yeah. chance that you know you're going to have a tough time. I, I believe yeah. that you know founders need to have that skill. What do you think? Yeah. Absolutely. I think there are two core skills that a founder should have. One is engineering, like like coding. If you're building an IT SaaS product, you need to either have an engineer in the founder founding panel or you need to be an engineer yourself. And the second is sales. I mean, you just can't get started with without these two skills. And I'm blessed to be a computer science engineer, a coder, and then turn into a sales guy. So I think, uh, you know, I kind of am equipped enough to create a small app and try to sell it myself to make money enough to kind of hire my first two sales uh, people or first marketeer, etc. But I think everything else can wait. Uh, engineering, if you're building a SaaS product, cannot and, and sales cannot, right? So, and, and if you have to spend money on day one to hire these two guys, I mean, you always will keep thinking about starting your company against just writing that piece of code and trying to sell it yourself, uh, you know, without as a one-man show, right? So I think these are two core skills that uh, can help you start, start up very, very quickly. Yeah, so you're a bit of a unicorn. You have both, uh, <laughs> both, both uh, skills required to have a successful startup, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least I like to believe that. I, I should come into action when I when I actually start up. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about a few things. We're going to talk about data. We're going to talk about outbound. I mean, I'm guessing your team can never complain and say, we don't have enough leads. <laughs> <laughs> they cannot. They have 184 million people profiles. I'm like, <laughs> go go bonkers over it, right? But uh, yeah, they cannot. Uh, but, you know, as much as, you know, data, as much as, you know, uh, uh, we, we like to believe that we have a lot of data, we really believe that it's all about finding that right ICP. Uh, which is very, which should be very, very targeted. So the ideal customer profile should be, you know, understood really well uh, within every, you know, sales function. And once you understand that this is the audience that will actually buy from you, uh, you know, that's when you go all in with that particular ICP. And I strongly believe that ICP is no longer based on just the demographics uh, and, you know, uh, the, uh, the size of the company. So, you know, if someone really does, if I ask this question, what is your ICP for your product? Uh, and if they tell me, hey, we like to sell in US and more than 200 employees companies. Uh, I, the first thing that I tell them is that you're selling the 2015 style. I mean, we're in 2020. Let's talk yeah. 2020, right? Yeah, that's way, very, very that's way too broad. Um, yeah. so, so let's talk about how granular can you get to really nail down your ICP? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think as as a sales leader, or in fact as an SDR team member as well, you should need, you need to understand what a buyer journey looks like, right? So in a buyer's journey, typically a buyer's journey starts from a stage wherein you know they have bought into your ecosystem. Most of the SaaS tools that you see in the market today belong to an ecosystem. So when if you have an HR tech tool, you belong to any a broader ecosystem, which is probably an HR MS or an ATS, and you integrate with them. If you're a sales tech tool, you probably belong to an ecosystem of Salesforce or HubSpot or Marketo and you integrate with them. So you need to first understand what is your ecosystem. Uh, and you need to first then understand who are the companies using that ecosystem because uh, that just you know brings you down to only a handful of companies that you can now target, right? So as soon as say, someone buys Salesforce, I can pitch them to Intel saying that, hey, you've just recently bought Salesforce. How does your you know uh, funnel look like? Uh, do you think you need uh, a tool to uh, you know, provide you with sales intelligence. That, now that I know that you recently bought Salesforce, so technographics today is super, uh, you know, helpful in this particular direction. And we so, should, you should kind of uh, build an ICP around the tools that your uh, audience is. So using. you're talking about building an ICP based on the technologies that they're using. Yeah, I mean, there's right. there's there's many tools, you know, similar to yours that, that do, are tracking these technology used. How accurate is that information and how real time is that information as far as like when somebody signs up for a new technology, when does that data become available um, and how accurate it is as far as like if they change a technology or not? Sure. Uh, so uh, as per our analysis, right, I believe it's not a problem of accuracy, it's probably a problem of coverage. Uh, and these are two different things. So basically for Salesforce, for example, Slintel has around 60,000 companies that are using Salesforce today on, on its platform. But Salesforce probably has 120,000, not 150,000 customers today. We don't know, or any techno no technographics provider would know all the customers of a particular right. technology. Uh, but they know more, 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 you know more than enough that you need for, for an SDR, SDR team to go after. And within that, the accuracy is usually very, very high. And the reason behind that is that the technographics are based on digital signatures that these technologies leave when someone is using them. Uh, so as soon as, as a company starts using a particular technology, for example, if you notice the URL of your Salesforce, it says my dot, your company name dot salesforce.com. So Slintel has you know, intelligent ways of identifying where that digital signature could be for a particular technology. It could be on the URL, it could be on the you know uh, JavaScript, HTML source code. And if it's a you know hardware technology or if it's behind the firewall technology, it might be in the job descriptions. So we can, you know, read through job descriptions and see, hey, looks like they're hiring for an engineer, but then they've mentioned mm -hmm. that they're using, you know, AWS uh, EC2 servers, and they need experience working with AWS, they need experience working with Python. This just gives us an understanding into the core programming languages that they're using, the backend frameworks that they're using, etc. So it is highly accurate because it's coming from, you know, trusted sources, but is the coverage 100% not really? Uh, the second part of your question, I think, was how recent it is and how real-time it is. So Splintel, uh, you know, refreshes its database of technographers every weekend. So we start our, you know, talkers, and these are 20,000 of them every Friday night, and it takes us three days to complete the entire run. So we check for 40,000 technologies and all their digital signatures on, on around 15 million company websites and all further their further, you know, web pages that they have. So it's a massive run that I'm talking about. Yeah, we're getting a little we're getting a little too deep in the weeds here. Yeah. We we know more about data than we care to know now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so till, all right. So let's talk about the SDR, BDR, full cycle rep, AE that when they have 
when they're able to get this sort of information, what does that look like? How do they reach out and be different? How do they incorporate that into their messaging, whether it's email, LinkedIn, phone? Let's take a look at that and talk about what you're seeing or what your team does with, you know, with this information. Yeah, absolutely. So funny story, right? I uh, I was consulting this small startup uh, by a friend and he reached out to me saying that, hey, we are doing everything right. Uh, you keep talking about personalization in all your talks. And in, in and, and what I've read is that, you know, uh, personalization really works, but we're doing everything right. My, my emails and my reps are sending are highly personalized uh, and we are still not getting responses. And I looked at that email and the personalization was, hey, Colin, I see that you're you know, working in this company, I see that, uh, you know, it's been five years that you're working in this company, uh, buy my product. Now, this is not personalization, right? Adding the name of the company or adding the tenure, you know, for yeah. which the person has worked at that company, this is not personalization. So, so when you have this kind of a, you know, sales intelligence tool, your personalization could go to the extent of, hey, I see that you're using Salesforce. And I noticed that, you know, you started using Salesforce in the last three months. Also, you got funded uh, very decently by Axel and Sequoia. Uh, seems to look like, you know, you're gonna go, go bonkers with your hiring. How about I give you a tool that helps you with your scale, mm. help you when you scale your, you know, sales team. And also I noticed that you have five job openings for these different roles. Uh, and I think we can actually help the sales team that you're hiring right now, uh, with the tool that I'm talking about, right? So, so basically you just told them that I, I, I went to the job postings that you've listed. I went to your uh, latest company news. I let, I went to your technology stack and I know a lot about it and now I'm stitching the story with it to kind of tell you that hey we can really help you in these particular areas because of the factors that we already know about you so I, in, in my uh, kind of perspective I think this is personalization uh, and personalization I think no one would really argue is, is the king right now you can't really escape uh, and expect an email to work out for you if you're not really doing any personalization at all. Yeah, and there's also an argument to be that some people feel that there's a there's a there's a line between too much personalization, right? Like you know, so how how much personalization should be there, and how much is too much? Yeah, I, I love that question. Uh, you know, uh, so I would say uh, till the point that personalization is related to your product, it's definitely acceptable, right? So you have to write a line around personalization and then justify why you actually said that. You shouldn't be saying that just because mm, you know. That's that's so that's example, the key. Product, that's the key right there. Yeah. Because not Absolutely. not to just use it, but have a reason of why you're using it, sales hustlers. That's right. the big important piece where a lot of people miss out because a lot of times you see the type of messaging where there is some personalization and it looks like maybe they took, you know, two, three minutes to look at your LinkedIn profile and slap that into a template they already have ready to go. And it comes across as very disgenuine. So you yeah. got to actually have a reason of why you're using or saying that and not just yeah. throwing it in there to try to be different and make it look like you actually took time to do something personalized. Exactly. I mean, you need to stitch a story for me, right? Uh, in that message. So you need to tell me that because I did this, this is what I should do next, right? So educate me, tell me what should I do and stitch a story around the personalization that you've done. That's when it, it is impactful. If you just leave it there, I mean, you've done half, half you, you've kind of, you know, just done half the job, so you can't expect the results. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so we're talking about, and this messaging can be used when you're calling them, when you're emailing them, when you're sending them a LinkedIn DM, you can use this at, on any channel. Um, yep. Now, 
what what sort of um, what do you think makes the biggest impact? Like, what is the biggest what is the biggest impact that can be made by having this information? Like, what are you seeing companies that or sales reps that didn't have this information and then go to having this type of information and have some knowledge around how to use it properly, which is the key. Yeah. What is that? How impactful is that for them? Like, what is it changing for them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, the one thing that most SDRs have made peace with is the fact that the open rate will be around 40% uh, and will be respectable if it is 40%. And the response rate around 8 to 10% will be super respectable. Uh, I think this is what will change when you actually go about doing smart prospecting with the right message, uh, with the right personalization. You would realize that your response rate could go as high as 25%, 30%. You would realize that your open rates could go as high as 75, 80%. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you have to realize that any person that you're reaching out to probably gets at least 25 other emails very similar to, you know, the other emails that the world is sending out. You have an advantage of kind of listening to this podcast right now that many other don't. So they would still continue to do that, what they're doing. And what even you thought till yesterday is correct way to go about it, right? So if you stand out, uh, it's not that people don't want to buy products. All the buying is happening on call. If you, you know, talk to any thought leader in the sales space, they would say calling works like charm. Calling still works. But why doesn't it work for everyone? The reason is, you know, the, the, the level of effort that you've put into it and the kind of smart work that you've done before you're reaching out to this person. When you put in all the effort, you stand out. And you become that person that this guy wants to respond to. So you have to realize that your persona is already getting 25, 30 messages every day. And all of these are, you know, shit. (laughs) You have to be that one message that will stand out and will be that message for that day for that particular, uh, you know, guy to respond to. And yeah, I use that word because I was seeing that constantly behind you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And here's the the thing that's interesting is I, I don't think of myself as a great copywriter. Like I don't, but sure. I'm actually not that bad at writing cold email hmm. because, right. and mainly I think it is from just receiving so much shitty emails myself that I could see what doesn't, yeah. I know what doesn't work. And when you bring some personalization and also humanize it a little bit. And what I mean by that is right. this. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't, it shouldn't have like a corporate stuffy feel to it. It can be lighthearted. It can be simple. I like to look at copy, whether it's email, whether it's a script, whether it's a LinkedIn DM, whether it's a video, you know, prospecting video. I like to talk to people like just regular people, bring myself into it, maybe make it a little bit funny, entertaining, catchy. Um, and you, you want to catch yeah. their attention. You know, I wrote a, I wrote yes. a cold email today and full transparency. It had no personalization, uh, but <laughs> it stood out and I got replies right away. Yeah. Um, and it was because it was actually, we were, we were crafting some copy to send out to, um, to, uh, uh people in the insurance industry. And, um, we were going to bring a joke into the copy and so I, you know, did my normal go to Google, look for, a, you know, a funny, cheesy insurance joke, and I couldn't find anything. Um, and, but I came across something that I found was kind of ridiculous. Uh, there's a store that I don't yeah. even know if the store still exists here, but it's like a big 
department store called JC Penny. You know, I don't even know if they're around anymore, yeah. uh, frankly, but yeah. they used to sell life insurance for some reason. And there was yeah. a joke around that. So the copy looked like, Hey, I was looking for a cheesy joke to start out in this email. And I came across the fact that JC Penny sold life insurance, LOL. That's the opening line of the email. Yeah. All right. And the subject line says JC Penny yeah. sells life insurance, question mark, explanation mark. Um, and you know, the thing is, the big thing is, is you got to write less. The, the more you write, yeah. the less likely that you're going to get open. And here's where I think, and, and here's where I think a lot of people, it's something that kind of irritates me. I don't care about your open yeah. rates. Open rates don't matter. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, don't how many it. positive yeah. replies? How many meetings? How many deals in the pipeline? Yeah, That's what matters. Absolutely. Stop celebrating absolutely. because you got a 40 or 50% open rate. Nobody cares. <laughs> how yeah. many deals do you have? Yeah. True, true, absolutely. In fact, for me, I'm, I'm a revenue guy, right? Well, for me, what matters the most is how much of that resulted in revenue. I mean, you could be a star in terms of setting up number of meetings, but if all of them are crap, dude, I can't pay for your salary, yeah. right? Because in the end, revenue matters. How many of that got translated into revenue? Uh, so yeah, and you brought a very, very strong point, which is bringing humor and wit to your emails. I do that to my follow-ups. So one follow-up that worked really well for me was a simple one line saying, Tim, the after effects of Halloween got me thinking, why are you ghosting on us? And followed by an image of a cute yeah. ghost. And I got amazing response rates. I sent it to everyone who had ghosted us, uh, you know, in the last two months on the next day following Halloween. And it was one line saying, the after effects of Halloween got me thinking, why are you ghosting on us? And the response rates were amazing. So, you know, your follow-up should be simple, one line follow-ups, and they should add some humor yeah. or wit to it. So just add some, some, some humor to it and you'll see magic happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so now what... Um... So let, let's talk about um, let's talk about something, right? Because we talked a little bit about using this messaging in your calls, using this messaging in your emails, maybe in your LinkedIn DMs. But I think this is something that a lot of people are still missing the mark on. And um, what I want to talk about is video, using video for your prospecting, yeah. using video within your sales process. Right. Is that something you guys are doing? How can you use the sort of data that you know you guys have access to in your video prospecting? Yeah, yeah. So we haven't yet started video prospecting, but what we have started is uh, you know sharing pictures of us holding a you know whiteboard, saying I'm not a robot, <laughs> right? So when you add so much personalization, you deserve attention, right? And what we do is after we add personalization, once we've shared a couple of follow-ups and we see someone has not responded to us, our next follow-up would be our, our, our actual picture with a play card that we're holding mm -hmm. with the name of that person, uh, right? So it says, Colin, I'm not a robot. I'm just holding it right here just to prove that this is, not pers this is hyper personalization. And we sell to salespeople. So they resonate with that. And as soon as it goes, they know there's no outplay. There's no outreach. We're not using any, you know, uh, mass mailing tools. We're not using anything. We're actually sending one-to-one -one email to this guy. And and now, you know, the, the the kind of probability that this guy will respond to us is much more. I think video would work as like charm. It's just that we haven't started. Again, for the same reasons that it just shows that you've put in that effort and it just added a lot more human touch to it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, if, if, if you can record videos, if you're good at it, I mean, you should definitely do it. 
I think my webs were more comfortable, you know, taking a picture than than talking. So, you know, I was like, let's go with this then. Uh, if you're not comfortable with recording your videos, but I think if you can record videos, if you're open uh, for that idea, I think that's even yeah. better than just holding a. I think a lot of salespeople get shy at first to video and you're missing it. Yeah, you're missing definitely. a huge opportunity. And here's the reality. We all suck at video when we first get started. We all suck. But yeah. you know what? It makes a huge difference because it does bring that human element into into the interaction a little bit more. It's a little bit more personable. And especially, you know, using video early on in the sales process little bit more difficult you got to really be good you got to really have a, a structure around it but using it you know mid to end of the sales process can be extremely effective especially when you're in like that negotiation stage where they're maybe like beating you up right. on price or they're like you know asking you for more and not willing to give um, it works really well in those stages because you can get your point across um, it's a little bit more trusting yeah. and a lot of times things can get lost in words, you know, and would you rather read a three paragraph email of explaining why you can't do what they're wanting you to do? Or would you rather get your point across in a 90 second video? Yeah, no, that's absolutely, uh, you know, very powerful. And I would say, and you made a very good point there. I mean, if the, if the message is going anywhere, you know, longer than one paragraph, then you better record a video too you know, kind of push that message across because no one really reads two paragraphs. No one does. I mean, yeah. they would just skim through that message. If you really want that person to actually read it and if you think it's important, it's a no-brainer to send a video instead. And I mean, you'll stand out, right? They, the person would respect, probably he'll forward your video to their own sales rep and say, hey, look at this. Uh, you might want to try this out as well. So, so for example, our, our play cards get forwarded a lot. We see a lot of opens. We know that they have shared it with whatever sales at their company name.com because we see a lot of opens when we when we send that across because they want to do that as well. So your the respect for you increases when you do something innovative, when you do something creative. Because when you're reaching out to someone with with that kind of approach, and this guy you know hasn't seen that ever, he would just respect you a lot more uh, as a salesperson. And and I think it's very important that you win that respect and trust uh, as a salesperson when you're dealing with any prospect at any given point of time. As soon as you've won the you know trust and respect. I think half the battle is won. Uh, from there on, you're definitely going to beat the AE of your competitor that's on the other side because this guy trusts you. This guy respects you more than uh, anyone Yeah, means. yeah, 100%. So you got to keep pushing the limits, be creative, step out of your comfort zone, do things you're uncomfortable with, try new things, be open, um, you know, because... You know, you can only do these things that stand out for so long before everybody else starts doing them. And then you got to think of something. Then you got to exactly. think of something else. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're listening to this and not going and recording a video, I think you've just missed an opportunity, right? I mean, you have to because if you don't, then someone else will and, and it will become a thing and, and then it's not as valuable. I mean, right now, how many LinkedIn videos do we get every day? I don't get more than one in a yeah. week. I mean, that means that there is so much more scope, right? Uh, for people to do that and still, you know, wow the other person. Uh, who's listening to that video. Don't do it as a first message, as, as you said, right? Because it's not worth it. What if this person not, doesn't even log into his LinkedIn? What if this, does, this person doesn't even open his emails? But do it as a second or third step, wherein you know this guy actually reads your emails but doesn't respond to you. This guy actually is connected to you on LinkedIn, reads your messages but is not responding to you. So your second or third step should be a video. I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, tell yeah, me why not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, thanks for, so much for coming on today. Really appreciate the conversation. Tell the sales hustlers where they can find out more about you and what you have for them today. Absolutely. So I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I have some videos on YouTube as well called uh, The Rambling Sessions. So search me up. Uh, LinkedIn, Anupreet Singh, Slintel, you'll find me very quickly. You can search for Rambling Sessions by Anupreet on YouTube. You'll find our Rambling Sessions. You'll also find where, you know, I'm interviewing Colin, one of those Rambling Sessions. Uh, apart from that, you know, uh, I have a few blogs and ebooks written. I'll send a link to one of my ebooks, which is setting up a SDR team from the scratch in 150 days. Uh, so I've shared all the secrets that we use to you know start from the scratch and build an SER function that regularly generates around 15 to 20, 15 to 20 qualified opportunities for our team today. Uh, so if all all the you know learnings that we had in that journey are mentioned in that ebook, so I'll, I'll share. All them right, fantastic. If you're listening, sales hustlers, we will include all those in the show links for you. And if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, write us a review, share with your friends, and we're listening for your feedback. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sales Hustle. Are you a sales professional looking to take your sales career to the next level? If the answer is yes, then I want you to go over to salescast.co. Check us out. And if you feel that you are ready, set up a time to talk with me and my co-founder, Chris. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends.